Welcome to Vision Magnified. We are a podcast that showcases the blind community living limitlessly. Breaking barriers and smashing stereotypes. Proving that we are more than just our disability. Happy Thriving Thursday, y'all, and welcome to Vision Magnified. I'm Sasha. And I'm Amber. And today we have a wonderful panel to talk about something that um, I've been wanting to talk about since I had that interview with my mom last week, which is the over-examinations on um, people with disabilities by doctors simply because we have a rare condition or because it's a condition they've not seen before. Um, So with me... um, I have wonderful ladies who I would like for them to state their name or what they want to go by, like your TikTok handle or what have you, and the type of condition you've had, and, um, and uh, if and when you were diagnosed. Hey guys, Marianne here. Um, I have a so far, far unnamed form of retinal dystrophy, and um, I was initially, initially told um, that they could tell that there was something going on um, around kindergarten or first grade, even though it wasn't actually um, affecting my eyesight at that time. Hi, my name's Lily. I go by bookworm.lily on TikTok, and I was diagnosed at 11 with two conditions. I was diagnosed with Bardet-Biddle syndrome, which is a really rare genetic syndrome, and one of its main symptoms is retinitis pigmentosa. Hi, I'm Tara. Um, I actually do not have a diagnosis. They know that there's something wrong with my retina. Um, I was actually not born with this vision issue. Um, it happened suddenly in 2015, and they are still trying to figure out what is wrong with my vision. Um, and on TikTok, I go by uh, Tara Rose 202. How many of you, I guess I'll start with, have been overly examined by doctors or you feel like you were over-examined by doctors? I believe I was. I definitely was, especially with trying to just get the diagnosis to begin with. And I I know I was. Oh, yeah. I mean, I definitely um, had my fair share of annoying examinations, especially when I was younger, just trying to figure things out and a lot of go here, go there and try this and try that. And for those of you who were younger when the examination started, do you guys remember about how old you were um, or how old, like, your parents said that you might have been when this started? Uh, um, I actually just had this conversation with my mother the other day. Um, I began failing the tests in school that they gave you or they gave you at the time, um, apparently, as soon as I started taking them. So we're not sure if it was kindergarten or first grade, but um, that was when I was first brought to a retinal specialist um, because my father had already been diagnosed with a retinal condition that was genetic. Um, So I was, I started, I started pretty young. (laughs) Um, Again, mine was just like out of left field, but I failed the standardized testing um my sixth grade and that's where they kind of got concerned because I hadn't said anything about like losing vision and I was also misdiagnosed with astigmatism at first so they tried giving me glasses that didn't work and then when I failed those tests they were like something's going on and then I finally spoke up and we went to uh the hospital and it was more like I was there as like an emergency thing 
So it took forever to even see a doctor. And even then it wasn't like specialist or any of like that. And uh, once they figured out it was like retinitis pigmentosa, they had to ask a lot of questions because there is no symptoms or like reason why I should have RP. And that's when somebody else from the same department said, you know, we think you might have this syndrome, but you need to get it confirmed. So that meant that I had to go see more doctors. When I was younger, even though I wasn't like legally blind, I do remember my mom taking me to a lot of eye specialists. And um, turns out once I did go legally blind that um, my mom was telling one of the doctors that one of the specialists when I was younger said that they would never be able to correct my vision to more than 2200, even with glasses. And I never knew that growing up, um, which I felt like would have been kind of helpful as I got older, like when I wanted to get my driver's license to have known that. I don't remember um, when the test started, but my mom does. And I must have been very young, like at least eight months old, because the, um, as she talked about in last week's episode, they strapped me to a papoose board and weighed me down with like sandbags to do some of the testing that started. So it was very, very young for me um, when I started being examined. Um, and I, when I started remembering it, I was probably like seven or eight. That's when I start having memories of um, the, um, the, the eye exams. But like, because my condition, it's eyes and like my body. So it's like one, the syndrome is, is like one lump thing. So I had exams on like my eyes and my body to figure out what was going on. So um, I don't have vivid memories, but I have vague memories um, of being at a doctor's office. I remember this being a little bit bigger, but it might have been when I was smaller because I don't know how old I was, of being on a, um, on a doctor's table and um, having a lot of different people standing around me. And, um, like, I don't know what was happening, but I know I didn't like it. And um, so those are the first memories I have, and they were very, very young. Um, so I have Demorzier syndrome, and it affects my eyes, it affects my pituitary gland, and I'm, I am finding now that I may have um, possible slight um, issues with the, the brain aspect of it because I'm finding that I am either ADD or some sort of like neurodivergent or autistic because with the research that I've been doing thanks to wonderful TikTok, um, it's really just putting a lot of things in, in perspective and into place for me. So now I'm doing the research and I really want to know um, if I never did see a, a, a neurologist when I was little, I wanna know why. My mom says she thinks that I might have, but she doesn't remember. And, um, but I, I would like to see if, if, if that's possible for me to do now and figure out if there was the brain aspect of this syndrome as well. I know for my syndrome, they also had me see a neurologist because there was, um, a chance that mental retardation, that's what they used to call it back then, mm -hmm. was possible. But obviously, um, the neurologist said that, the, you know, I was fine, pretty smart from myself um but then they debunked that part of it later on so it's kind of crazy because some symptoms it's true and then some they debunk so the research is kind of like 
it's rare. Yeah, because for, for people with Demorzier syndrome, the more severe side, um, people have Down syndrome. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, they knew that I did not have Down syndrome, but I don't think they even looked at possible um, autism or um, ADD. I don't even know that ADD was something that was even widely diagnosed or looked for back then, so... It was still diagnosed because I know my uncle had it. Um, but I think, Sasha, you, I, I don't, the doctors told my parents that I was going to basically um, not have any, like, I wasn't going to be able to do anything. Like, I wasn't going to be able to uh, live, basically. But yeah, I, you know, I won't be able to feed myself. I won't be able to do anything. Um, and of course, you know, they've realized as the years progressed that that was wrong mm-hmm. because apparently uh, that's what they thought of a lot of people with optic nerve hypoplasia back then. What kind of doctors were you all examined by? I know we talked a little bit about neurologists and stuff, um, but were you also examined by like student doctors or anyone else who was maybe not a doctor, like a foundation or an association? Yes, I was. Um... I was seen by several doctors the first time I was being diagnosed. So they would also bring in student doctors. And then once I got the confirmation that I had the Bartlett-Bedell syndrome and that I had RP, I went to the genetic specialist that was very well known in this type of research. And he would also bring in student doctors and he would just show them and be like, oh, this is how her eye looks like. And here are the pigments and how her retina looks like. And obviously when I'm, you know, you're young, you're like, you don't realize that, you know, they're kind of using you as like a, kind of like a guinea pig, so mm-hmm. to speak. Yeah. So because of my dad's uh, background, I was taken directly initially to a retinal specialist who basically was saying, yeah, you know, we see, I see something in her retina. Um, and if he, ha- if she has what he has, there's nothing I can do about it. Um so he kind of threw up his hands very early on with me, even though we were repeatedly going back to him. I very much remember him just looking and going, yep, yeah, well, there's nothing I can do about this. Um, and uh, other family members apparently had recommended other specialists. I don't remember actually going to anyone else when I was little. Um, but as I got older, I remember seeing a lot of different retinal and like low vision specialists. Um, some of which would say things like, her eyes are so interesting. They're just so interesting. Let me get this equipment out. Let me get that equipment out. And it was like, okay. (laughs) Yeah, that sounds familiar. (laughs) Um, but the interesting part is no one seemed to notice that I was also nearsighted and had an astigmatism on top of that retinal issue that was very, very slowly developing. So I could have had glasses when I was younger. That probably would have helped me out a lot in school. Um, but I didn't get my first pair of glasses until I was 15. So finally, we went to just, you know, your regular run of the mill eye doctor. And he was like, um, I don't know about this retinal stuff because I don't have that background. But she's nearsighted and she has an astigmatism in her right eye and we definitely can do something about that. Um, so while I was still under the umbrella of visually impaired because I was never able to get my vision fully corrected, um, at least I could see the board from further back. I didn't have to sit in the front anymore and 
um, stuff like that. So it was kind of frustrating at the time. And I saw um, a retina specialist here in Seattle um, at kind of the more, one of the more well-known places here. Um, actually, the doctor, well, the first time I met her, she brought in a student doctor um, because, like I said, they still don't really know what's wrong with my retina. Um, and, um, but yeah, I remember going to specialists all the time as a kid. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm sure that there were, you know, other student doctors. Um, I remember like always having to get my eyes dilated, like, and hating it. For those of you with retinal issues, um, I mean, I'm pretty sure it was only, I, I, I could be wrong, but, um, there was a vegetable dye that they would inject to make yep. your retina stand out and like it made your skin turn like a yellowy color and then um it made like the, the onset of it you become very 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 nauseated that's Whoa. that red dye huh the one i have no idea they just said it was like a vegetable dye and it makes like the cells like really pop so that they can yep. really examine I like it that. really really well but oh my god i've had it twice i think two or three times maybe and First of all, the anxiety leading up to it when you've already had it one time. Yeah. And knowing, yeah. like, I remember I was like, I'm going to throw up on this man's shoes. Like, this is what's going to happen. <laughs> I actually didn't throw up when I had that because I had that with before my retina surgery. They put that stuff and it made made you see red, literally. I remember the, them injecting some sort of dye, but I don't remember it making me nauseous. Although one time they couldn't get a vein on me. So I literally, I had to like, they mixed it with like a juice and had to drink it. Oh. Um, but yeah, they've they've done that to me like three or four times because they keep thinking that I have retinitis pigmentosa, but I don't. Have any of you guys ever had your eyes double dilated? Because I have, and that shit hurts. Yeah, I I don't know. I don't, I don't know. know. I know that either. they. I know that I've gotten know. it to the point where I look like a demon. <laughs> <laughs> like my eye, you cannot see you can't see my like you couldn't see my iris anymore i think it was i think it was nyu um because my sister said that i was like creeping her out <laughs> because mm -hmm. you, couldn't see my, you couldn't see the color of my iris anymore. Oh. so i don't know if that's what that why that was but it was highly unpleasant to behold apparently i know when um i got double dilated it was more so the fact that they were taking forever to like you know for the actual specialist to see me so eventually like the dilation were, were out so they're like we have to dilate your eyes again i'm like great lovely so when my eyes were double dilated the reason they did it is because my eye doctor was like oh you know i mean i can kind of see what i'm looking to see but i want to see it i want to see it bigger like i want to he basically did it so that he can, like, satisfy his curiosity with my eyes. I'm pretty good when it comes to, like, getting, you know, like, dilated and being able, like, to open my eyes wide for them to see it. So they don't need to do it constantly. But I just remember that one time that they had to do, like, the double dilation. Mm. So as far as, like, doctors that I've seen, I've seen, like, my pediatrician led to the, ophthalmo uh, the ophthalmologist. The ophthalmologist led to... Um, also, they, it led to the endocrinologist as well because the pediatrician um, thought I should see endocrinologist because this is an endocrine, endocrine syndrome. Um, so then I saw, um, from the ophthalmologist, I went to Estelle Doheny Eye Foundation. And then from there, all these people along the way were examining me. 
Um, and then from there, there was this lady. Her name was Megan McGinnis. I remember her name. And she used to bring cameras to my home and just record me. And I think she did this until I was kidna- in kindergarten and said I didn't want to be recorded anymore because it was awkward. Because the last thing I remember them doing is having me wear a wire onto the playground so they can hear my interactions. I was literally studied. Literally studied. Um, that sounds weird and creepy. And even yeah. To this day, my mom doesn't know what they did with the tapes. They assume that it was for teaching purposes. Um, That's wild. But but they don't know. Like, I don't know where those tapes are. Who, who the hell knows? Um, I know that they had video because I remember some of the videos I watched, and I was very little. Like they had video of me where I was putting on my socks. Um, they had video of me like just playing. Um, it was weird. It was very strange. And I remember I didn't want to wear a wire. Like I I was not. I didn't want to play with the kids. Because I knew that what what I was doing was being recorded, and I I felt like it was it was not okay. Um, but I had. Do you think it's because you? Do you think it's because they didn't know a whole lot about what you had at the time, and so you were. So my mom thought that it's because I was really independent when I was little, and they were fascinated by the fact that I was so independent, and. Um, they wanted to see what I was capable of, what it was possible for me to do. Um, and so my mom thinks that that's why. But, but even when I ask her to this day, she barely, she doesn't really even remember this. This went on for years of my life, and she doesn't really remember it because her memory's so bad. Um, but, but she doesn't even have a clear explanation as to why they wanted to do this. And they, they came to my home. I believe they came to my preschool. Um, they came to my elementary school and, and then I, I don't, I know I did not want to do it after the wire incident. That's wild because I mean, she had to have given them cons- yeah. the, the okay, the consent, yeah. exactly. Otherwise, um, so I, I guess whatever they were trying to do made sense to her at the time, but I don't think that people really realize when you're, you're a kid, you're still cognizant of what is happening around you and without explaining to you at least in terms that a child can understand I don't think it was right for them to just proceed with stuff like that without at least talking to you about it well I I, th- I know I was too little to comprehend what they would have said like I was very young like they started on me when I was like I know I was walking already so maybe like one or two at the time because I know mm. uh, one of the videos was, was of me in our old house and we moved from that when I was three um, so I was very little when this all started. Oh. oh, wow. Yeah. And I'm fairly certain it stopped in kindergarten because I did not like, I didn't want to play with kids. It was weird. I still remember walking around the playground trying to be where other kids weren't. Um, but Wild. I ended up on the swings with, and a couple of other kids came over and I was just like, you know, there's, there's, I'm just going to play. I'm just going to do what I do. Um, but yeah, it was, it was strange. Um, and I, I don't know what was ever gleaned from that. We never received any. Once I didn't want to do it anymore, my mom said no more. There was no, hey, this is what we used this stuff for. This is what our research mm-hmm. showed. Nothing. There was no follow-up at all. That doesn't um, really sound ethical, though, too, because with studies like that, they should have, you know, told your mother, like, hey, this is what we're doing for these purposes. And even once, you know, say, you know, you said no to the study or your, 
you know, your mom said no to the study. After the fact, they should have debriefed uh, your mother as to what reasons they did these studies. I unfortunately, back then, there wasn't a lot of um, privacy policies in place when it comes to that kind of stuff, I don't think. Well, and, yeah, because and, and we're she, talking about the early 80s, right? So yeah, it's like yeah. they probably didn't have to disclose that to her. And it was probably not made clear to her that that was not information she was going to get. You know, she probably thought, OK, well, maybe this will help us in the long run. But they probably deceived her in amount, you know, in, in the in ways of how much she was going to actually get from it. You know, mm-hmm. yeah, yes. definitely. I, I, I'm sure there was no money because it ain't like we were a rich family. We were, you know, we we're living with my grandparents. So, like, I, I don't believe that we benefited at all from this studying of me. Um, Weird. So I would love to find Megan McGinnis and or her daughter because I know she had a daughter because I played with her once on video. Like we just had like a tea party. It was weird. And I remember because we had like the same strawberry shortcake plates and um, bitches, my memory is good. <laughs> um, yeah i have that kind of memory too i would remember that kind of random stuff like yeah i and i want to find this lady i want to know what she did with my information i want to know what if it was through estelle doheny because it must have been if it was through them i want answers like this like what purpose was it like why record you yeah was it because of your blindness was it because of your syndrome was it because was it just that they found you through those things and they were just doing studies on children and, and had nothing to do with anything else? Like, I, that is... should try on Facebook or everybody has Facebook. Yeah, I, I, I think I'm going to do something that, or one of those things where, hey, TikTok, if you know this person, send them my way. <laughs> like, hey, that works. I mean, it works for a lot of people. It works it for yeah. cheating relationships. Yeah. Maybe it'll work for this. Yeah. Um, because mm-hmm. I, I really would like some answers because I can't imagine that my mom would just be like yeah sure video my daughter i don't care like i can't imagine that that like i want to know what would have what would have been told to her at the time i want to know mm-hmm. what if anything she mm-hmm. signed i want to know why like you know what was the <laughs> argument that convinced her to do because my mom's not a dumb person like she was very naive and very um quiet at the time but she's not dumb like she wouldn't right. have just been like hey here yeah use my kid as a specimen like right needed to have some sort of like explanation as to why they were going to do what they were going to do yeah either that it may help other people or would help you or at least you would learn more about what you had going on at the time especially as a young parent with a small child you know um and you're being told all of this medical stuff about her she 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 probably was given the impression that um you know that it it was going to help you or somebody else you know and maybe it did. I mean, hopefully there was a purpose to it and, and they learned something from it. But I mean, it's just as, as the kid in the, in the situation. I mean, I would also want to see those those videos. Like that's a portion of your childhood, you know, like yeah, I would want to see it. Just, I would probably I, I would be thoroughly embarrassed, be but yeah. Oh, but you were teeny tiny. There's nothing to be embarrassed about. It would just probably be interesting. <laughs> but I think it was just the most mundane things that they had me doing, like running around my house, playing with my dad, or like playing with my old toys. Oh, I'd like to see my old toys again. Um, yeah. But, like, but um, there's got to be an archive of this stuff somewhere. I'm sure yeah. maybe you know if they if they were worth anything to them, they digitized them. You know. 
and mm-hmm. like that's why I just I want to know what where this information is. So right, I, so interesting. I will be updating like you guys if I am able to make any um make any contacts with this lady or if I'm able to speak with somebody out of Stel Doheny who might like know anything about my records because I I will be going to them too because it was either through them or through the Blind Children's Center of L.A. So. I don't know. Yeah, there's got to be a paper trail somewhere. Yeah, yeah there has yeah. to be. Because there's a lot of paper trails from when I was first diagnosed because I recently saw a new um, genetic, like, uh, retina specialist because uh, the one I'd seen for maybe like, almost over a decade, he retired during the, the pandemic. And so even then, they transferred, like, obviously all of my records to the new um, doctor. And at that state, like, you know, the genetic testing that they made, when I was first diagnosed. Yeah, I sometimes wonder where that first retinal specialist that my mom, I mean, that my mom took my dad and I to. Because um, when I was like in my 20s, I used to want to sue him because he did, I felt like somebody who was looking in my eyes on a regular basis and didn't see that um, I had, <laughs> that I was nearsighted and had the astigmatism and I could have gotten glasses so much younger. Yeah. And I was also told that my my eyes developed weird because of the struggle to see. Oh, wow. Like you put so, so much in your eyes that it uh-huh. developed weirdly. Yeah, they they actually, they actually, I mean, it's a very subtle, but they look in two different directions. One looks um, out and down and the other one looks out and up. Um, so, and that is, in, uh, that is in response to not constantly looking for, my eyes constantly looking and trying to settle on the healthier parts of my eyes oh my um, and it's, of course it's yeah and of course it's only gotten worse um now that uh, my central vision has started to atrophy because of the retinal condition so now <laughs> because i use my peripheral vision i'm all, uh, everything is to the side and i would imagine as it progresses it'll become more and more obvious like i notice it i notice it in my videos i notice it in photos of me that i'm not I, th- I think I'm looking at the person <laughs> the holding the camera, or I think I'm looking at my phone, but I notice it um, more and more mm-hmm. as time goes on. But um, a lot of that could have been, um, that a lot of that could have been corrected very early on. And mm-hmm. I used to say all the time that <laughs> I was like, I want to sue him. We should just sue him because yes. he, well, how could he have not seen that I didn't have, that I had these other problems. And I remember him being so jerky and arrogant, even back then, like all he would ever say when we went there is, well, there's nothing I can do. If he, if he, if she has what he has, there's nothing I can do. Like this, like a mantra that would go in my head that like he would say <laughs> every a- time. Wow. Like that's was a like, what are we, why are we still going sure. to this guy? Like by the time I was 15, we were done, but t- that's almost, I mean, if you consider that the first time we went, I was in kindergarten or first grade, like we're not hundred percent sure, but that's almost 10 years. If you guys were younger, when you were getting these kinds of examinations, um, how did your parents handle these? Like, especially if you were being examined a lot. So my mom was obviously with me when we were getting diagnosed the first time around. And um, it was just, it was a lot of waiting and a lot of like stressfulness because obviously I'm getting, trying to get diagnosed with RP. And so now they have to look at my retinal and then they're kind of confused as to how do I have RP when it doesn't run in the family? And so they're asking my mother so many questions. And then 
Um, one symptom with Bardet Bedell syndrome is polydactyly, which is extra digits in the hands and feet. Now, I did not know this, and this was something that came out when I was getting diagnosed, but I was born with extra um, digits on my hands and feet. On my hands, it was just extra skin. And then on my feet, there were actual, like, actual bones. And so they had found out about that. That's when they had that realization that I might have that syndrome, and that is why I had RP. It's crazy that things lead them. I mean, honestly, had my dad not been diagnosed before me, I don't think... um, I don't think we would have even bothered with retinol people like retinol specialists, but I know that the, I know that the letter that came home from, from the school was like, I think very hard for my mom to receive because at that point, like they knew like what was going on with my dad. And then all of a sudden it was like, Oh, by the way, your kid's eyes are not right either. And it was like, and they knew it was genetic. There was a genetic component component to what he had. So it was like, Oh shit you know, that realization. And I know for him, um, I think that there's a lot of guilt for passing that gene on, even though like, it's not something that, like, (laughs) first of all, when they started having children, he didn't even know he had that. And second of all, (laughs) even still, like, you don't, like, nobody, like, it's not like you did it on purpose. Um, So I think that's- Not like you can control what kind of genes you pass down to children. Right. I mean, and even as an adult, my, you know, being an adult, um, my mother still comes with me to every appointment. She's very invested. Um, and I think that there's a part of her that hopes that some kind of breakthrough is going to come out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't have the same illusions uh, as her, but, you know, she was told when I was a kid that, you know, hey, by the time, you know, it starts to really manifest for her, they'll probably have a cure. And I think that that stuck with her because I was a kid at the time. And it like, something that she held on to so like you know she's you know when we go to when we go to doctor's appointments uh she comes with me and you know she'll ask them every time you know are there studies that she can participate in are there trials that she can participate in but unfortunately my father's condition is very very rare and mine i'm being told is only similar to his not the same and i have yet to even receive a name for it so there's too many question marks for that but it's 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 weird to see her like still thinking like there's something to be done. Like I'm pretty sure there's not. <laughs> I can definitely relate to you, Marianne, because um, with my um, syndrome, there is no cure as well. And obviously with RP, there's really no, no cure for that as well. And so they did say, oh, there are studies, you know, going on. And my mom also took to that. And so whenever she would come with me, she would ask, like, oh, are there any new studies? Are there any new trials? And I eventually just, you know, you know, came to the realization, okay, my vision's going to be shitty for the rest of my life. Right. It's okay. I'm, I accepted that. Mm-hmm. And so eventually it kind of just got really annoying for me to have her come with me and ask those questions because I knew there was no advancements whatsoever. And so I eventually started making my appointments in days that she couldn't come with me. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I could do that. I've, I've, um, I've told her like, hey, you know, I can go, I can go into the, you know, I can go into Manhattan myself. Like, you know, I don't need you to, you know, I mean, like the tra- paratransit is going to drop me off right at the door. I was like, I don't need, you know, I'm like, you don't have to come. Like, it's a lot for her. You know, she's older. I said, you don't have to come to this or you don't have to come to that. No, I'm coming. And I'm like, all right. I, I you know, I let her come because I know for her, 
it, I, I let her come for her. Like, it doesn't make a difference to me, to be honest. Sometimes mm. I have to remind her that I'm a grown-ass woman and I can answer and ask my <laughs> own questions. Um, which, of course, the, you know, the doctors get an absolute kick out of, you know, they, they laugh at us because I'm like, um, is, I'll call her by her name instead of saying mom. And I'll say, you know, <laughs> ma'am, <laughs> I got this. You're just, you know, you're you're just a you're you're just a spectator in this. Fly on the wall, mom. Fly on the wall. Right, and so so it was pretty funny. And um, the last time I was actually at the lighthouse, I had her. I was like, okay, you want to be involved? I was like, I want to film this for TikTok. So, but I still had to, I, I had to remind her to do that anyway. So it was just like, okay, whatever. But um, <laughs> so I think never, that it's yeah. healthier for her to come than not because she, that she can hear the information firsthand and it makes her feel better. So you know, it's fine. But um. You know, I, I would be fine. Uh, I always say that I would absolutely participate in studies, but not for myself, for the next generation of mm -hmm. people. I understand that the, even if I participated in a study, there's many, many years that's going to go into that study. It's not right. really going to affect me, but I'm okay with doing it if it means that maybe the next generation of people with similar conditions might have a better shot at, like, not losing... As, as much of their vision, you know? Growing up, my, you know, I remember my mom always taking me to these appointments, but then uh, my half-sister was six and a half years apart. She was born with a condition like where one of her eyes, the muscles weren't developed, so she could roll that eye into the back of her head. Um, but they were able to correct that with surgery, but they did make her wear glasses to kind of strengthen her other eye as well. Um, and so... But I'm like, the, you know, I'm really the only one that I know, at least on my mom's side of the family, that's had something so severe. Um, and but I remember her just like, you know, I think really wanting to see if they could correct my vision. And this is, you know, before they knew something more severe was wrong. Um, so I remember her going, you know, with me to all the appointments and now. I mean, I go to all my appointments. I only go once a year, so I go to those by myself. Um, but I am uh, my doctor. I go to see her in June, and um, she brought up a few years ago about going to um, the University of Oregon, like Casey Institute, because they can do more extensive genetic testing mm -hmm. to kind mm -hmm. of figure out what's going on. Because when they did the full vision panel, nothing like what they were looking you know looking for came up in that and at first I didn't want to do it because I I didn't want to be poked and prodded anymore but now I'm just like frustrated because I've noticed noticed a few little changes and um they said like it doesn't look worse from their standpoint but it's like you know I want to know if I'm going to lose more vision so I right. can kind of be prepared for that outcome if that happens yeah, sometimes it's not about a solution. Sometimes it's just about knowledge. Like, mm -hmm. I'd rather know, like, what's going on. Um, yeah. There's there's so mm -hmm. many question marks regarding my situation as it is, and there's they've always been there. And it's like any question mark I can kind of erase is, is fine with me. Like, I just want, like, as few question marks as possible. With my mom growing up, um, she was very much um, at the appointments. Sometimes she even brought my dad and my grandmother along. Um, so I had a lot of adult involvement with my appointments. Um, and then as I got older, it would just be my mom and I, or my grandma, my mom and I, or even just me and my grandma. 
um, going to my appointments. And I actually was the one that would always ask the doctor, so have they come up with like a study or anything that they could do? And my doctor said no, and, and they probably won't. Every single time, he always told me the same thing, but I would still keep asking because you never know. Like my thought process was the worst he could say is no. You know, I would hope that doctors had um, access to more research than we did, but at the same time, were they able to get, you know, to all of the researches around the world, you know? Like how available and when did these things become available to them? You know, when should we be holding our doctors accountable for not knowing about our conditions. You know what I mean? I was diagnosed maybe, I think, 2004. So that's when, like, you know, the internet was a thing and research was a thing. So there was a little bit of research on my genetic syndrome. But the thing is, it was also confused with another syndrome called Lawrence Moon Syndrome, I believe. Obviously, it's debunked now, but those two were confused together. And so some people in my family who would look it up, they're like, oh, you might have issues with this and issues with that. And then um, other people be like, no, 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 it's this. And so it was very confusing at the time. And then obviously, you know, I asked my doctors and they're like, no, this is two separate syndromes. And so I was able to correct people in my family who would like look it up and be like, you have Lawrence Moon, Lawrence Moon syndrome. Like, no, 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 that's not the syndrome I have. Yeah. It's Bardell syndrome. And I always had to explain, like, now that I now that I think about it, like, I don't even remember having uh, genetic testing done. And they said that it's a congenital, you know, thing. Like, it can be passed down. But nobody in my family has it. Nobody in, in any of my mom or dad's side of the family that we're any aware of had it. Mm-hmm. And I think, unfortunately, the way my parents think they didn't want my DNA getting into the wrong hands, conspiracy theory, conspiracy theory. Mm. So, yeah. Oh dear. Yeah, yeah so no, I'm, I'm, I don't I'm think I had that. any of that testing done. Yeah, I was supposed to have it the last time I was in the light, at the lighthouse, which was, I believe, October, because it was still pretty warm, September or October of last year. Um, Unfortunately, getting my glasses, um, because I can have a little bit of help with distance due to the nearsightedness. Um, So I got two pairs of glasses from them. And by the time I was done, uh, everyone was gone. Um, So and then a lot, you know, once the holidays hit and there was a lot going on for me in the beginning of this year. um, So I haven't had a chance to go back and actually get it. But I am like chomping at the bit to just have a name. Because all I have is the name of my father's thing, which is mm-hmm. a yeah. mouthful. I'm hoping mine is easier to say because his is central choroidal areolar dystrophy. And I remember looking that up as well on the Internet, you know, earlier on when I was able to finally, like, say old words and spell them because <laughs> it's quite <laughs> it's quite a mouthful. Um, and there was really nothing more than it was just like a rare, like, degenerative disorder, blah, blah, blah. But more recently, um, doing a TikTok for our um, Blind Baddies page, I discovered that there's actually photographs of the retina with that condition, which I had yet to see. And you can really see like where the cells in the center start to go and everything. And I was just like, well, well, now at least there's a photo. I mean, this is still not exactly what I have, but it's more than I've seen before that. So 
So, um, how did you guys feel when, like, you were being over overly examined or when you started to feel overly examined? Um, did you ever, like, speak out or crowd in pain? I just felt like, I remember, like, specifically the eye doctor. It was just, like, awful. I hated getting my, like, eyes dilated. And then with the specialist, the appointments were longer and I was young. Um, and then also, like, along with my vision i i also have something called sensory integration disorder so it's constantly being examined and special physical therapy for that and it was just i didn't like it i, I just wanted to be a kid i i i didn't realize that it was over examining till like obviously now that i think about it but back then i was just like okay there's more doctors here and the appointments would be super long and just tedious and tiring. I would just, you know, go home and take a nap because I was that exhausted. Yeah, same. I just be, remember being exhausted. I'm still exhausted uh, coming coming back from any, any kind of um, eye appointment. Um, it's a celebration if my eye, if I don't have a headache at the end of it, if I didn't have to get my eyes dilated that one time, like that's just like, I kind of try and focus on like the shit that I didn't have to do versus mm -hmm. like, um, all the shit you do have to do. Yeah. All <laughs> the shit that you do have to do. And just, and just the, the, the in the, the just the, the stupidity of like the people that work there. Um, you know, I, I remember, you know, especially as my, my vision started to change, I remember always having a problem with that one eye test where you have to look at the blue light. Yeah. Um, in order, but because my central vision isn't isn't there, to to see the blue light would mean my eyes would be going to to, to off to the side. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. every technician that I've ever had is like, "You're not looking straight ahead." And I'm like, "You oh, told I me to look that. at the blue light. You didn't tell me to look straight ahead. You told me to look at the <laughs> blue light." And now. <laughs> as uh now as being legally blind so the the the, the change in the the missing part of my central vision is so much more um pronounced the last time i was at the eye doctor the technician could not understand why i wouldn't keep my eyes straight ahead and i was like first of all my eyes move by themselves i was like and second of all i was like you keep telling me to look at something in order for me to see the thing that i'm looking at i'm the, so another technician had to come in and be like, okay, no problem. Just, you know, move your eyes a little down, move your eyes a little to the left. Okay. A little bit more. Yes. Now just try and hold that position. So I learned, finally realized, and now mind you, we've been doing the same damn test since I was probably six. And this was the first time that I realized that in order to look at the blue light, I had to make myself not see it. Yeah. You know, it's funny because something exactly like that happened to me um, when I went to my last um eye appointment because it's like it says on my file i'm blind i've told you i'm blind i'm using a cane um you tell me to look at the blue light i'm looking at the blue light then you tell me my eyes aren't where they need to be okay well where do my eyes need to be looking at the blue light ma'am i just told you <laughs> like obviously yes. this is not working <laughs> so then, then because they... to look at something implies being able to see it so yes. if I need to be able to see the blue light or do I need to keep my eyeballs straight ahead so you can look at the center? You need to freaking be more clear in yeah, your wording. Tell me where you want my eyes. Left, right, up, down. Tell me where you want them. I'll put them there if I can. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'll put them there. I don't know that they'll stay there, but yeah. 
And it's crazy that it took me to the age of like 39 to really figure that out. Because I finally had somebody walk in the room that was less about look at the light and more about here's where your eyeballs need to be. Especially if they know that you're, you have nystagmus or something like that. Like, yeah. Um, honestly, when I was really little, I just remember it being very painful for them to examine my eyes or for them to um, draw blood because I was on certain medicines. One time they wanted nine vials of blood from me, and I was probably like six or seven. And Jesus they couldn't get a vein. And um, they tried um, four times, and my mom, and they wanted to go for five, and my mom's like, no, uh-uh, no, nope, we're not doing that. We can come back another day. Like, well, we need these vials where we can't fill her medicine, and she needs her medicine. My mom's like, well, then she's not going to be on her medicine if you're not going to fill it, because you've already tried four times. We're not doing this. Another time they tried um, to get a vein, and they I had to actually get it from my my ankle like my feet somewhere in my feet i remember them putting like hot towels on me it was really weird because they could not get blood my veins roll um but the one time that i like as you know like an actual like cognizant child realized this is not okay i feel like a guinea pig like my exact thought was like i feel like a guinea pig i was 12 and i was at the eye doctor and um, they had me in a dark room and they were looking at my eyes. And the doctor's like, oh, this is great. We have a bunch of students here who can look at this. They literally, he literally had a, a line of people looking at my eyes, shining these lights in my eyes. And it was hurting. And um, I said, no more. And I got up. Like, I literally pushed them off of me and I got up. And I said, I, it, you know, I'm, I'm done. Like, I don't like this. And... Um, and they try to bribe me with toys to keep going. And I told my mom, I don't want to do this. Um, but I remember her yelling at me once for running out of an endocrinology appointment because the endocrinologist actually stuck her hands down my pants to show people where, where I could get my, my shots on my thighs. And I'm like, why couldn't she just show them on my pants? She stuck her hands down my pants. And I didn't oh, like Jesus. that. So, like, I, I left the room. Um, and so, like, I knew that I didn't want to get yelled at again for, for be, quote, unquote, being a brat. Um, so, like, I, you know, um, I just let them finish examining me. But, I, like, after that, I'm like, I don't, I don't like that. I told my mom afterwards, like, it hurts. There's so much light that I have spots in my eyes for a long time afterwards. And it's just, I feel like a guinea pig. I feel like they're just studying me like an animal at the zoo or something. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, especially when you, if you haven't had the types of tests, you know, a lot of people don't need to have their eyes dilated, for example, and then have the light shone, shone in, in there and all that stuff. Like, you know, rudimentary eye exams for like your average person, even your average person, you know, who needs corrective lenses, don't have the extent of testing that we've had. Um, and then, of course, you have a physical component to your to your situation that of course that they would want to examine but like they, they like i mean even the doctors don't seem to get how discomforting it is like it's just it's annoying right like bro you just opened my aisle to its absolute maximum and now you're shining a fucking light in it yeah like that hurts. and i think some of it because i was actually talking to i actually had an eye appointment last week 
and um you know the students do the the appointment and consult with the doctor and she's like oh yeah we have to practice this stuff on each other you know month in and month out at school so like it doesn't even phase me anymore and uh, great that it doesn't phase you but it still hurts us exactly. yeah right <laughs> it's like you don't exactly. have the light sensitivity that we have mm-hmm. like your eyes yeah, are still fairly a, normal yeah, there's still a component that if your eyes are healthy it might not have the same level of discomfort that ours do yeah well and every exactly. time i go to see my retina specialist like that's a several hour appointment it's not a one hour like you know like you were saying like you know standard you know eye appointment it's like they do all these tests on me every single time i go um and they dilate my eyes so it's like yeah that whole day is shot for me i can't do anything Mm -hmm. like after i'm done i go home like that's it yeah it used to be the same for me when i first began seeing the retina specialist and the appointments would be at least like four hours long and a lot of it wasn't even the actual appointment. It was more the waiting around for the actual specialist. And then I would also have to see some of like the student doctors too. And they would come in with the retina specialist. And, you know, as I said before, he would just point out different things in my eye and be like, oh, look at this, look at that. See how this looks like? Yeah. Like, I, re- I, I don't recall personally, like, I, I, there must have been times where there were student doctors involved, but I don't remember anything specific. And I understand that that's what they're there for to learn. But I also think that there needs to be a little bit more consideration for the patient mm-hmm. in those situations. Like, I get it. Like, they're there to learn. You're there as a patient and you have what they're teaching them about. I get it. But there needs to be, there ne- they need to be a little bit more cogn- cognizant of the, how 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 uncomfortable uh, the, a lot of these exams are, and like, you know, kind of make it quick. Yeah. <laughs> like, make it quick. Yes. Like, okay, you want to show them? Great. Show them real quick what it looks like, and then maybe you can discuss my charts after I go home. Or like, have right. a limit to the amount exactly. of student <laughs> doctors. Like, if you have more than two student doctors in a room, that's too many. Like, I understand oh. that your students need to be given the opportunity to learn, blah, blah, blah. But we are sentient beings behind these eyes. And we are dealing with this pain and this discomfort. And it's very insensitive to be like, oh, well, it's all in a matter of research. Yeah. it's. I mean, like, I always want information. But, like, once the information stops and the examining continues, like, the time that the doctor told... I'm trying to remember which doctor it was because... I've seen a bunch, but um, so the one who was like, was like, your eyes are so interesting. Like, I'm almost positive I remember him showing other people. And I was just like, all right. That was, I think, the one time that I felt that made me feel weird. Like, that, that I was like, kind of like a spectacle. Because it was like, your eyes are so weird. And I'm like, cool. Oh, I do remember. Because then he was like, I wish I had this piece of equipment with me. I wish we were in th- my other office because that has this. And I was like, all right, well. That's nice. I'm not like on a microscope, you know, like I'm not a lab test on a microscope. Mm-hmm. Or like, a, yeah. like that definitely made me feel a type of way because I was just like, there's a human being that you're speaking to, not a set of eyeballs on a fucking slab. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, the the one eye appointment that I spoke about earlier, I just remember it felt like it was a packed room and it may not have been, but I just remember like person after person after person just shining a light in my eyes oh this is so interesting and they're ta- yeah did you see the way the eye does this and the way the light affects this and da, da, da. it's like they're talking about like me like, a, like i'm a you know a specimen on a slide 
Mm -hmm, right yeah. yeah and they're just they're talking scientific facts about you while you're just in the room and they're they're looking at your eye and just like oh look how interesting this looks or look how like the pigments in you know in her eye are like this and it's just like um hello i'm still here i'm still a person right it's like, like look how interesting um that you're not speaking to me what yes. any um excuses did your doctors give for one to continue eye exams if you wanted to stop did you did anyone ever have like experiences with that? Not that I can remember. No, I don't think yeah. I ever had it. I don't think I realized that that was going on. Yeah, I don't know that I've ever had felt like I had the opportunity to say, okay, well, we're done because I always sort of felt like each test was necessary. Whether or not they were is another story. Well, I don't, I don't know if this would be like something that would apply, but um, were there any consequences for? Maybe standing up to doctors, saying no more examinations. Like, did you were you ever threatened with social workers, CPS, anything like that? Were you? Uh, yeah. Really? My mom <laughs> wanted to stop. Me and my mom came to this decision that I didn't want to do growth hormone anymore. Um, because we didn't find it beneficial. My dad is 5'2". I'm taller than my dad. Um, and we said no more growth hormone. Plus, there was a bunch of newspaper articles coming out that it was damaging the liver and even now to this day i have to get uh, a blood panel done for my liver because sometimes there's like spots on it um in my blood workups like there's never knock on wood there's never been anything that's come of it but they were people were getting uh, liver cancer or they were dying um because of the growth hormone and my mom and i were like no um i was like nine years old and we just said no more the, um, I think it was City of Hope by that time, or it might have been UCLA, I can't remember. They threatened my mom with social workers, and I remember them coming to the door to try to talk to me. Um, I had nightmares because of it. Um, yeah, it wasn't fun, but, um, we, we said no. Like, we'll continue the thyroid because that's necessary. We'll continue, like, you know, all the other medications that are necessary, but we're not doing this anymore. That's insane. I mean, it was suggested to give me growth hormones. I'm very short. I'm four, uh, four ten. I I was at four eleven at my shortest, but I've had a little bit of a spine compression. But um, and it was suggested. But I mean, I guess maybe is it is it because your height is affected by the syndrome that you had? Yeah, because they felt it's like... a pituitary syndrome, so the whole pituitary is shot. Oh. Like my whole anything anything that is affected by the pituitary gland, my growth, um, hormone production, my thyroid, everything affected by the pituitary gland is just shot because it doesn't work. My pituitary gland. Well, you work. you still made it taller than I did, so it's like <laughs> that's just insane to me that that they would make that big of a fuss over something like that. Like that's honestly that's a personal choice. I mean, I mean, you know, I was told that I was practically. Um, I, that I practically had a defect because of the, the height that I ended up topping out at. And I was like, no, I'm just, that's just my stature. Like, it's just like, let's yeah. not get crazy here. They yeah. actually wanted to do growth hormone on me as well. Not because of my eyes, but I'm very short. But everyone on my mom's side of the family is very short. But then they saw that my growth plates were fused. But my mom still kind of like wanted to do it. And I was like, no. Like, if it's not going to do anything and my growth plates are fused, like, you know, what's the point? 
I, and like in hindsight, honestly, like the same doctor that said that I should do growth hormones told me when I was 16 that I should get a nose job. So like maybe everything that he <laughs> wow. was suggesting was a little, no, you know, so I mean, again, not really having anything to do with my eyes. Um, but like, maybe we don't say that to an impressionable teenager. That yeah. doctor could be discredited. Oh my god. He was great when I was a kid, but apparently he didn't know how to deal with teenagers because by the time I was like like I said, like by the time I was like nine or ten, that was when he was talking about growth hormones and then by the time I was a teenager apparently I needed a nose job. So I I, I don't know. I, I believe that I switched over to a adult practitioner after that because I was just like, Yeah, no, we're done. But um <laughs> like sorry, I'm Italian, I have a bump on my nose. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> I was, you know, a pretty skinny, like little, little kid before kindergarten. And then in, in about kin kindergarten to first grade, I just plumped up and never, never lost any weight. I just kept like, by the time I was in fourth grade, I was looking like a whole 14, 15 year old, you know? Um, and it, they were just like, yep, yeah, you're doing great. Put her on Weight Watchers, you know? Oh, and uh, they never did any tests to see if maybe she might have something wrong with her thyroid. Maybe she might have, maybe there might be stuff that goes along with, you know, what she's going through. This is not normal, you know. No, right. no. I'm, I actually I, have another situation like that. Another symptom of my syndrome is obesity as well. So, you know, I, you know, I gained a lot of weight and never dropped it anymore because it's difficult yeah. to lose weight with it with that syndrome and obviously nobody really thought that maybe there was something else going on mm -hmm. because yeah I did eat like junk food like any normal you know kid but like right. not excessively right and that's the thing is that now that I'm on TikTok and meeting more people with my eye condition I have very rarely met a not plus size person with my eye condition that's interesting i mean that it's not considered especially you know when we were growing up like the, the genetic components that go along with it like there's usually something more than just oh, yeah. the overt thing that you're having you know right like yeah and i think the board you know stuff like that because some they might just think it's like something trivial or not think too much into it well, and they seem to only focus on the eyes. Like I was diagnosed um, within the past couple of years with ADHD. And that's something that, that of course starts in childhood, but you know, being, again, being a girl, they, they, oh, well, she's not bouncing off the walls and, and, and whatever. So nope, we're not looking, you know, but mostly it was focus on the eyes, focus on the vision. We have to make sure that she, you know, go, gets through school focus on just the eyesight that's it yep but even within the eyesight issue there, there's so much that isn't discussed yeah. yeah like i you know i only recently discovered my light sensitivity during mobility training mm -hmm. not that i didn't notice it but i didn't think on it like so i would open the door you know and and i would get these sunbursts one one of my friends told me that i might be hypoglycemic and I thought maybe my blood pressure was dropping because I was hungry. And one day I was walking with my mobility coach and I noticed something that I hadn't noticed on our walks previously. And she said, 
oh, you can see that? And I said, well, I can today because it's cloudy out. Mm. And it was just, honestly, like I was didn't think on it. I just knew that I knew that I saw better when it was cloudy, but it just <laughs> wasn't something that I considered on any level. And yeah. so, you know, cut to being given special orange glasses to block UV light. And then one day I was at my sister's and I was facing her back door and I asked her to pinch the curtains closed because there was like a strip of sunlight that was basically stabbing me in the eyes. Mm. And my mother said, oh, that's right. You have that light sensitivity. And she goes to my father, she goes, do you have that? And he goes, yeah. In my entire life that my mother, and they've been married like 50 years, and my mother was like, you do? Like, nobody, just so much that's not talked about within. It's like, okay, you can't see well. And it's Mm -hmm. like, there's so much more intricacy to these things than just... Oh, you don't see well from, you, you know, be. you don't see well and and, yeah. and you see better in certain circumstances. And, and the, you know, when it's like this, you can see better. And when it's like this, you can see worse. There's so much more to mm-hmm. it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like, it's also when they ask you to describe your vision, you're like, well, it depends on the day. And it really does. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I, that's the other thing. I have this film um, of like this, like literally almost like snow on a on a on a tv with no signal type of thing and on our trip that where we met some of the other ladies one of the girls said started talking about that and i went i've literally had that forever and a i used to think everyone had it and it (laughs) i realized much later that not everybody sees that and b then i thought i was the only one that had it yeah i think it's just wild yeah and i think that there's there's definitely we I think that as the older generations of of blind people grow up and we're able to communicate, network, and talk about these things, we're finding commonalities, you know, um, Uh that there might, it definitely may not just be your eyes. It may be something with the brain or the body. Like there may be other anomalies or other things that, that, that doctors are so busy looking at your eyes and you're being, being their specimen for your eyes that they're not putting the research into the other parts of the body that might be affected. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Yeah, actually, speaking of that, Sasha, um, I um, recently, like maybe a month or two ago, I went and saw a new doctor for my back because I have back issues. I fractured my spine in 2005 and my L5. Oh. And he was looking um, like at even past scans and and images of my back and he actually like thinks that I might have like three different types of autoimmune diseases and they did genetic testing and it came back abnormal so now I have to go see a rheumatologist but it's like I've been seeing all these back like different back doctors since I had surgery and it's like no one bothered to tell me that sooner but like I mean that's not sort of related to my eyes but it's like there's another thing that, like, you know... And it's still potentially genetic. Yes, mm-hmm. exactly. I mean, my father actually has rheumatoid arthritis, too, and I say that all the time. I'm like, mm-hmm. every time I have pain, I'm like, uh, <laughs> like yeah, this yeah, isn't another thing. Yeah. <laughs> what would you guys say to, like, maybe parents listening to this podcast or people who are newly blind and they don't feel like they can speak out and tell their doctor, no more tests, like, I'm not a guinea pig, like, what would you say to them? Um, Because, like, my mom, I know, was very naive, very meek, 
she was talking about this in our last episode um it's they are the ones with the degrees and presumably the education to be doing these exams so what would your advice be I would say, you know, stand up for, you know, yourself, like you, like we were saying earlier, it's like, we are the people like, you know, we're not just a set of eyeballs on a slide. It's like, you know, if you don't want any more tests, then don't do it. Like I actually in 2018 took like a two year break from seeing any eye doctors. I was like, I told my mom, I was like, I'm done. I can't be poked and prodded anymore. And she was okay with it. Like, I mean, granted I was an adult, but it's like, if it's making you uncomfortable, you don't like it anymore, then you should have that right to stand up and say no more. And I would say as if you were if you're a parent and it's your child, I would say education is key because you need to know whether those tests are necessary for your child or just tests for the sake of testing. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if you can if you can if you're able to differentiate and say okay, well, we really need to know what's going on with her so that we can A, B, and C. Maybe you can. Maybe the appointments can be broken up in such a way so that it's not so arduous for your child or for yourself as well. But it's important to know because if you don't even know what that test is for, but yet you're being forced to be given it, like that's a problem. So I would say know what each test is and why, why it's necessary and whether, you know, or if it's necessary. And then maybe say, hey, you know, maybe can we do this bit next time? I think that this is a little bit too much. Yes. If the tests are necessary. If they mm-hmm. are not, then then you'll know right there and then that it's a safe spot stopping point. Well, this isn't really necessary for her or him at this point in time. Perhaps we can revisit it if it becomes necessary for them. I definitely agree. Like, definitely ask questions if you are a parent. Ask what is going on? What are they doing? Just because you're not left in the dark. And I say, like, if, you know, if you're, you know, comfortable with it, stand up and say, you know what, hey, no, I'm not comfortable with doing this test or being prodded like this. Or, again, know why you're being prodded for so many times or for what reasons. Is there an actual reason? And is it just for research sake? I would say... Um... Exactly what Marianne said. Know the reasons for the test if they're 100% necessary. What is the benefit directly to your child of the test that they're wanting to perform? If there needs to be a student doctor in the room, then say, like, okay, one student doctor is fine, but, like, when it becomes two, three, four, five, that is unacceptable. Um, you know, I, I think it's it's very hard to look at people who you assume have a higher education than you or you know, degrees and whatnot and say no and, and say that this is not, I know what's best in the situation, but sometimes you have to do it because if you are a, the parent of a child going through this, you're their only advocate. You're their only voice. You're the one that needs to stand up and say no because they are too young to. If it is happening to you, it is your body and you are not a guinea pig. You are not a specimen. You are a sentient being and you have every right to, to dictate what happens to you. Um, if it feels like a procedure or a surgery is being forced on you, decline. You have every right to decline. Um, and I would definitely say that, um, you know, if you want, if it makes you feel more comfortable, get things in writing. I want to mm-hmm. know before you perform this test, what are the benefits to my child um, and you know, how much of this is just research, you know, for your students or what have you. If they insist on having multiple student doctors come in, then you start asking for compensation. 
Mm. You get compensation I, yeah. for what they mm-hmm. are learning from your child yeah. or from you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because yeah, now I you're agree. participating in a study. This is no longer about me and my tasks and my eyes. This is about you and what you want to glean from my, you know, my situation. Yeah, so yeah, why yeah. am I just a unwilling participant in this? I need to be a willing and, you know, reciprocated participant. Yeah. And, and not only that, but it's like, then they're they're gonna they're gonna study you and bill your insurance for the pleasure. Oh hell no, buddy! Mm-mm. No, you're gonna pay. Yeah, me. I have enough problems getting my insurance to pay for shit. We don't need to add to it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Real, like Sasha said, if it's only one student teacher, okay, that's fine. But again, when it becomes you know two, three, four, then that mm-hmm. again, you're just being poked and prodded for no reason. And there is a way to communicate, in and you know effectively. You know, you don't have to be hostile or combative. It's just, is it, you know, is it necessary for um, this many people to be in the room? I feel that my child is becoming uncomfortable. Mm. Um, you know, can we, maybe we can, yeah, maybe we can, We again, like maybe we can do this another time um, when it's like more convenient or if my kid's in a better state of mind. Because we're dealing, like you said, like we're dealing with, when you're dealing with children, um, I know my mom was saying, I wish I would have had a more, uh, longer conversation with her about it, um, leading up to this, but I know she was saying that the, the first appointment that we went to was extremely long. And I mean, I was a very good, quiet kid, but it could not have been easy at that age, five or six years old to mm-hmm. keep me inter- entertained and calm when I had never mm-hmm. experienced any of these things before. Like, I don't know what you're doing right now. This is like a strange dude looking in my eye when they, the, the, the tech, the, the tech that they use is very alarming, especially back then. It was huge. You had to put your chin here. You had to stick your face there. It was poking in you in the face. Like, it's just, it's weird. So be very aware of like, of what your children's limitations are, because I think that we're becoming very um, aware that um, sensory issues, like shyness and just discomfort with like a lot of strangers is not, you know, isn't just one type of person or one type of, of mm-hmm. thing. Like a lot of children experience that sensor, that sensory overload and that, 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 you know, discomfort of, of strangers and things like that. And, and it's like really normal. So be yeah. very aware of like you, what your kid's limits are, because why push them into a point where, um, especially if this is going to be a lifelong thing for them, like you don't want that to be traumatizing at the, at the, at the get go. Just take a look at them. Do they mm-hmm. look uncomfortable? Are they fidgeting and squirming? And, you know, they're not doing that just because, you know, they want to go play in the park. And even if they are doing it because of that, like, they're not comfortable for a reason. Ask questions. Mm-hmm. Ask if that's ne- if this thing is necessary to finding out more about their, disorder, their, their condition. Mm-hmm. Awesome. And I would also say involve the child in the conversation. Uh-huh. Um, I mean, I was always very aware, but I don't know how involved I was in the conversation. Right. But I was always, I, I kind of, I understood what was going on because I, I, I had my own memories of it. Um, but like, you know, I feel like people have a tendency to talk at, you know, talk around children, about children without mm-hmm. actually talking to the children. So my advice right. would also be include the kid in the conversation, obviously to their level. Like, mm-hmm. okay, so you know how like you've been having a hard time with this and that and the other thing, you know, this, we're going to, we're going to take a cool picture of your eye and we're going to do this. And this way we can see, you know, like what's going on and blah, 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 and, like involve them in it. Because if they feel like they understand what's going on, it's less scary. 
And not only that, but it might help you understand it. Like, let's say they're using a bunch Mm -hmm. of jargon at you because you're an adult and they figure that you're going to understand it. Maybe you don't, but you're not going to sit there and say some people will not sit there and and ask questions. So have Mm -hmm. them be like, okay, well, thank you for explaining it to me. Explain it to them now. And have them explain it to your your child what they're about to do because maybe when they're explaining it to your child, you'll understand it better and whether or not you really want this done. Mm Mm -hmm. I I mean, if there are any doctors listening to this, I would say the same thing. I mean, if you're working with children, you need to work with the children. Mm -hmm. Like they're the ones having that experience. Yes, the parent is going through it with them, but the kid is ultimately the one that's having that experience. And they need to be brought in to the best of their understanding to what is happening with their own bodies, because otherwise you're just traumatizing them. If you are going through this with your child and everything, or even if it, it's starting for you and you're a little older or you're an adult, keep a journal, make some notes, um, because you never know how that information may serve your child, if you're, t- if you're a parent, or how it may serve somebody else in your family who will one day end up with this condition if it's genetic. Not only that, but I would um, also keep research notes, print pages out, highlight things, really study things, because if there's a treatment that you refuse and they want to threaten you with social workers, CPS, things like that, you will have the paper trail that you know your research, you were hearing these names floating around, so you research these conditions and you have an interest, a vested interest in what's going on with your child, and they can take a look at all of your notes and be like, here, you want to see how invested I am with what's going on with my child? This is what I've got. You are not doing this treatment because I don't feel it's beneficial or necessary. And I think that would hold up in court because that shows that you care, that you're researching and you're invested in the care of your child. I mean, yeah, yeah, I mean, preparedness before or during and after is absolutely vital as well, especially Mm -hmm. if you're not that comfortable speaking up um, like to doctors and authority figures or whatever. Um, Going in with set questions Mm -hmm. is definitely a good way to like make sure that you get your questions answered and without having to feel like you're on the spot for everything. Yeah, um, as far as, like, the note-taking and stuff, my mom would do that at appointments for me. Like, whether, you know, like, when I was considering back surgery or when I first lost my sight, like, anything that they were saying, she was taking notes and writing it down in a notebook to have, like, you know, for the future. And it's like, okay, yes, we talked about this or we did this test, um, And, you know, that was something that's, you know, I think very helpful. Also, I think another thing is if you you know you come from a a family that like English isn't their first language, I would definitely recommend they get somebody like a translator in the room to kind of explain what's going on. Because Mm -hmm. I know with my mother, she understands English, but she doesn't know how to speak it very well because Spanish is her main language. So I had to explain a little bit of what was actually going on because I was obviously aware and I understood what the doctors were saying to me, but sometimes I wasn't sure if she understood it, you know? Yeah, especially as a child, I know a lot of kids um, fall into the role of translator for their, for their, for their parents, but I think when it comes to medical stuff, um, you are absolutely 100% entitled to a translator. Um, and a lot of times, especially with some language like Spanish, I feel like, I feel like there's going to be one person in that office that speaks Spanish. <laughs> like, yeah. it's it's yeah. it's literally like the most spoken language in this country. So, um, definitely, like, just ad- advocate for yourself and for your child because 
you need to understand what's going on and they need to understand what's going on. Yeah. And, you know, a good, nice, like, meal out afterwards, some kind of incentive for getting through the appointment because, you know, a lot of that appointment is going to be necessary for whatever purpose. You know, once you establish what's necessary, um, you know, some an, an incentive to, to get getting through it. You know, I would we always like to go out to dinner. <laughs> Um, or, you know, like even a McDonald's, you know, something, something nice for them to look forward to. And it also creates a positive experience. Like if it's like, oh, we got to go to the eye doctor and the kid's like, yes, I'm getting a happy meal. Like, (laughs) like create, create something that is going to be, (laughs) make it into a positive experience for them. Like, you know, that. I hope you enjoyed this week's show. It was such a fun conversation and such a nice time talking to these ladies. We often floated away from topics. So um, there was about an hour of this podcast that I had to cut out. Um, But if we ever do a Patreon or if we ever start getting listener supporters, perhaps we can release these extras and all the other extras that we have when that starts happening. If you do want to support the show, there is a link in the show notes. Um, about how you can support the podcast with a donation and it would be greatly appreciated but I thought it was very necessary to share this topic because if you are somebody who's new on your blind journey and or somebody who is a parent of blind child and you don't know how to speak out you don't know how to speak up you don't know if you should um, I, I hope this podcast is beneficial to you I also hope it is beneficial to everyone in the blind community and starts the conversation about overexamination. I think that it is very um, important that doctors do not violate the trust that their patients put in them by over-examining these patients. Like, yes, research is beneficial. Every study of a different condition helps to better understand the organ or um, the condition or the disorder or what have you that you're working with. However, there is a person, a living human being on the other end of that you know, scope that you're using. And doctors need to be mindful of those patients. I hope that by us sharing our experiences and you all out there sharing your experiences, this will become a topic of conversation in the patient-doctor relationship and work to solve some of these issues with over-examinations or using people as guinea pigs. Thank you again for listening to this episode. We do hope you enjoyed it. Please feel free to share your feedback. You can leave likes and comments on TikTok. You can also leave comments on our Instagram. Um, Definitely subscribe to the podcast no matter which platform you listen on. Let us know if we're doing a good job and if we are bringing to you the topics you want to hear and if you'd like to suggest a topic please feel free to do so on any of our social media or on our email which is listed in the show notes thanks again and we'll see you next week thank you for listening to the podcast this week we hope you enjoyed the show and look forward to seeing you next time You can find us as Vision Magnified Official on TikTok and Instagram and on Twitter as VMO Podcast. See you next time.